You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. I'm your host for this one, John Siegley. I'm here with EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll for our weekly Letterman podcast. Before we get started, guys, wanted to kind of do something a little bit on the lighthearted note. So I just got done playing basketball with a bunch of my friends. Shout out to you guys if y'all are listening to the podcast, each and every one of y'all. And I've not played ball in about a year. I am incredibly sore because I am that out of shape. And the thought dawned on me, going back to y'all's playing days, what was the game that you were the most sore after? Mike, let's start with you. What can you recall, man? Oh, man. Um the most sore after a game, uh, dude. I can't. I mean, that's 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 a tough. I mean, I was sore after every game. I mean, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I would say. For, honestly, Virginia Tech two thousand nine. I mean, I, that I was I was pretty beat up that game. I mean, I sprained I sprained my my ankle probably in the second quarter, and had it third quarter maybe, and had it wrapped up for the whole second half. Um, I jammed a couple fingers. Um, I mean, that was just a that was a very physical football game. I would say, I would say either that Virginia Tech game or the LSU game in 2010. Yeah. All right. What about you, EJ? When can you recall being the most sore after a game? I would probably say the Maryland game. I can't remember if it was 2008 or 2009 where we were uh, at Maryland and it was raining. So they are uh, just they were oh, just running the ball. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, always. That was They're just Hayward Bay. Yeah. Yeah, so and and they're just running the ball in the beginning of the game when it's raining. So I mean, not only are you just just banging heads every play. I mean, it takes a certain amount of muscle control just to be able to maintain your balance out there. So after that game, I mean, I'm sore in places that I'm normally not sore. I mean, on my sides, my my legs, quads, everything. So that was a that was a pretty painful experience dealing with that the next day. But um, yeah, that was that was a pretty bad one. Is it always a little bit worse with road games because you can't get like the treatment as soon as the game ends? It, 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 does it generally tend to be a little bit sore after those? If by treatment you meant getting the Franklin Street to a bar, then yes, the way games were worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I didn't understand what treatment was when I was in college. I think like I, I think I think I would have been a slightly different athlete on the better side if I would have understood the value of treatment in college. I didn't I didn't figure that out till afterwards. My treatment was like EJ said. My treatment was holy grails of the players. Ooh, old school slayers, slayers, slayers. <laughs> We'll talk about that during an off-season podcast. Um, to get back to Not the cur- for work, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, to get back into the to the current football season, kind of wanted to lead this into the talk to the talk about UNC coming off of its bye week, and that's kind of been the biggest thing. Is you heard earlier in the week at the press conference, Coach Brown, Phil Longo, and Jay Bateman, they all talked about how the bye week allowed the team to get healthier to kind of learn some positions, deal with some of the depth issues and some of the injury issues. So from your guys' perspectives, if you're a player coming off of the bye week, especially going into a rivalry game against Virginia Tech, 
what is your mentality as you sit here on game week, Mike? Like, are you kind of worried that you've got to get up for the game or are you still very grateful for that extra rest that you got last week? Uh, I mean, I, I was always grateful for the extra rest and the extra work. I mean, we, you understand, like, it was different for us, like, when we played, because Butch always managed to get our buys scheduled the week before Georgia Tech, um, which which clearly worked in 2008, but in 09 and 2010 it didn't. Um, but our bye week was, was typically before Georgia Tech. Um, I think – actually, no, that's not true. Uh, it was it was before Georgia Tech in 08 and 09. It worked in 08. It didn't work in 09. And I think it was before Virginia Tech – if I'm not mistaken, in 2010, and we ended up losing that game. So it, we, my, my concern was always coming off the bye and not not me personally being ready to play, but the team being ready to play. I was always worried that we wouldn't have, because history told me this was going to be true, that we probably weren't going to win the game after the bye week, and I never understood what that was about um, because we'd spend the bye week working on fundamentals and getting healthy and getting treatment and getting rest, and I always felt like, the bye week was, was, was beneficial and catapulted me personally as a player throughout the rest of the season, and it was a much-needed week of getting back to fundamentals and working on my technique and things like that, you know, cleaning up bad habits that had developed throughout the course of the first half of the season. Um, so I never understood what that lag was for. Um, I guess maybe you get out of a rhythm or something. I, I'm not really sure. I, I, that's one of the anomalies of football that I just cannot seem to explain, um, at least in my personal experience. So. I mean, I, I think the hardest part of coming out of the bye might be just getting back into the groove of game week and knocking off whatever rust you apparently develop during that five or six days you've got off during that bye week. I don't know where that stuff comes from, but, I mean, it's it's something that I always experienced on with teams that I was on. I didn't necessarily feel like I was afflicted by it, um, but I guess to some degree I, I, I was. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's, that, that's a very hard question to answer. It's hard to explain. But um, I was always uneasy coming off of bye weeks for that, for that next game. EJ, what about you guys on the defense? And applying it to this year's UNC team, Carolina played great in the first half against Georgia Tech. The second half, they gave up some of those points. But they've been able to kind of get some guys rotated in, like I mentioned earlier. So how do you think the defense is going to respond after this long break here? Uh, first, like I, I agree with everything that Mike said. Um, it's really good to kind of get some guys healthy to work on some things that have been some issues or things that you just want to get better, refine a little bit as a team and focus on you a little bit where you don't have the stress and the pressures of of a game coming up. But then again, on the other hand, as Mike mentioned, he said that a lot of guys seem to get rusty in that time span. I, I think the answer to that is that there's a certain mindset that you have during the season. I mean, yeah, you have a mindset during training camp. You want to focus and and get better and get ready for the season. And during uh, the off season, you want to get your body in the right condition. You want to do what you can uh, to get ahead with your classwork uh, and all that, and all that good stuff. But during the bye week, you kind of get out of that mode. You get during the season, it's just a killer instinct that you kind of develop as an athlete. And I really can't explain it, but in order to get to the level where you're playing Division One football, you obviously have that. You have that when it, when it's time to go out and perform, no matter really what's going on on the outside. 
that you can you can all put it all together and bring it out on the field. And the bye week really breaks that up. You get to go home, you get to see your family, you get to do some fun things, and you kind of just feel like you're living your like a normal life. Like you, you kind of forget about football just a just a little bit. Not like you go days without thinking about it, but just enough time to kind of lose that special focus that you have during the season. So um, I, I think with this year's defensive group. I definitely think that we needed the break. We need to get some guys healthy. We need to get uh, some of these guys, um, especially on the defensive line, we need to get some of that, that second second and third team guys developed. We need to be able to get them in, running these plays, make them feel like they're part of the game plan because in, in this second half of the season, we're going to need them. I mean, we're, we're really in the stretch of the ACC season. We got a big game against Virginia Tech, then followed by Duke. So it's going to be really important that we start to really develop and see that depth to where we're not – having as much drop off uh, and we can continue to get the contribution from the defense that we've been getting all year. I think EJ articulated it better than I did. And that's that you have this hyper focus during the season typically, and the bye week tends to break that. And maybe it is exactly how you, how you characterized it. And um, it's that, you know, you kind of have to get back up for game week and you kind of have to reset and refocus yourself. And that's hard to do. Um, you know, essentially your concentration gets broken. It's like taking a test, right? Your, t- your concentration gets broken in the middle of taking a test. It's hard to reset and come back from that, at least for the next few questions. I mean, I would say that EJ's right, that that hyper-focus gets broken over the course of that bye week, and it's difficult to reset and recalibrate coming back into that next game. That, that, that's always been my experience. I think that's the right character, characterization of that. Yeah, I think it's definitely a balance uh, the bit between those two factors. I think one of the advantages to this year, though, is that you have a coach like Mac Brown who has coached, I don't know how many dozens of teams that have gone through bye weeks. And he mentioned that during his press conference as well, that his teams actually usually performed pretty well after a bye week, and especially with the brand new offensive and brand new defensive schemes this year that may provide an added benefit that UNC may not see in in subsequent seasons. We'll have to just see what their mentality is like. I think that's going to be a big deal going up against Virginia Tech. So let's transition over to them. But first, let's talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. There's only a few home games left in the football season, but basketball season is also just about to start. So if you're in Chapel Hill for either of those events or one of the Olympic sports, Make sure that you head over to Franklin Street and go visit Johnny T-Shirt, where they have been in business for decades. They are locally and alumni-owned. They have the very best customer service. They have an amazing selection of Tar Heel gear and apparel and just merchandise in general. You can also shop at GiantT-Shirt.com if you can't make it to Chapel Hill, so you can enjoy the great selection there. And if you are an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, you get 10% off of your orders. You can get that 10% off discount code from the premium message boards. So make sure that you get that and shop at GiantT-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. All right, so talking about Virginia Tech, guys, let's go ahead and first off, Talk about the aspect of playing up in Blacksburg. We've talked about this on prior podcasts, but this year I think it's a little bit different because Virginia Tech has not had a good season. And off air, we were discussing the fact that it's Bud Foster's very final year as defensive coordinator, barring some unforeseen circumstance there. So the Blacksburg crowd traditionally has been very, very strong. However, UNC has not really faced a true hostile road environment. Greg Barnes brought it up on our Media Monday podcast that he actually hopes Virginia Tech is loud in this game because UNC needs to 
be prepared to play in hostile environments for the final game against NC State. So, Mike, looking at Virginia Tech this year and that crowd aspect, how big of a deal do you think it is that the Heels get exposed to a very hostile away crowd? Well, I mean, historically when Virginia Tech is humming, um, that is one of the most difficult places to play in the United States. I mean, that stadium is built for sound. Um, you know, anyone who's been there, Lane Stadium is vertical on both sides. Um, it's bowled in, and the sound just, just reverberates down on the field. It all gets concentrated and funnels down onto the field level. I mean, I remember when we played there in 09, it was so loud on third downs. I looked over at one point um, as Cam Holland was about to put his hand on the ball. The ball was actually vibrating on the field before he touched it. Um, I mean, that's how loud that stadium got then, and that was – that's a Thursday night environment. It was a primetime game. Tech was a top 25 team. Um, you know, they were loaded with NFL players. It was a, that was an exciting Virginia Tech team. And, and that was a traditional, typical, expected Virginia Tech crowd. I mean, unfortunately, the last couple of years of them not, not having the success that they've grown accustomed to in Blacksburg. Um, you know, remember, I mean, before Frank Beamer, even as, you know, his early years, Virginia Tech was, was, was was kind of a not not a laughing stock. They were just a, an afterthought in terms of a program and 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 a, and a football team. But you know, as, over the years and over the decades, they obviously became accustomed to winning and being extremely successful and being in the national conversation every single year. And um, and the fans, I think, have lost a little bit of that this year. So I'm hoping the crowd is what it has always been because the the North Carolina Virginia Tech game has become more of a rivalry than I think some of our designated rivalries are. Um, and, and, and that's just because by definition, it, it is, it is rivalrous, right? I mean, it's a definition of a rivalry is, is, is wins and losses being, being exchanged on a relatively consistent basis. And that's what the Virginia tech UNC game has turned into. And it was building up there for several years in the early, in the mid to mid to late two thousands. Um, you know, those Carolina Tech games were, were always very close. Tech was typically coming out on top, and I think 2009 sort of shifted that for for us and shifted that rivalry into something that was really worth watching. So I hope that there's the excitement and the buzz around this game that there normally is in Blacksburg, and I hope that Lane Stadium is what it has traditionally been because Greg's exactly right. I mean, they do need to be exposed to this. They need to understand how a silent count works in a game situation because you've got, for particularly for the offensive line, right, you have – Several, if not all, of the offensive linemen, with the exception of Charlie Heck, are up there, and they haven't really experienced that. And they haven't had to deal with that together as a unit in terms of silent counts and dealing with crowd noise and things like that. They haven't had to deal with that yet as one cohesive unit. Um, you know, there's, there's guys playing next to other guys that they've never been next to before um, or they've only been playing next to for a couple of games now. So this is going to be really important for their development moving forward, not just for the rest of the season, but for the rest of their careers. Um, you know, the, our offensive line is extremely young, so they all have a couple of seasons left in them. This is going to be really important for their development generally. But it's also going to be important for our receivers. We've got some receivers that haven't really experienced that type of environment. Um, they, they, they have to really focus down, hunker down on watching the ball, not dripping off sides. I mean, this is going to be a real test for guys if it is the traditional Lane Stadium, the expected Virginia Tech crowd. It should be a real test, and it should really show these guys, number one, what that environment is like, and number two, if they can handle it. Um, and that, that's that's extremely important moving forward, particularly with the last game of the season, just like Greg mentioned against State. 
EJ, what about the defense? How does crowd noise really impact you guys? Is it overall a little bit less than the offense? Because I think that's what most fans would think. But, you know, what are your thoughts on that? It's a completely different animal on the, on the uh, defensive side of the ball. Um, you, if you think about it, if you're, in a, if you're at home, then your crowd's getting up for uh to try to distract the offense so you're kind of used to that energy and that buzz and it kind of creates a feeding frenzy at least i know it did for us especially back uh before they reduced the seating in the stadium and we had we were playing in front of sixty thousand people i mean when they're getting up and really getting loud and trying to distract that offense i mean there's really an energy and that's when you really can feel the home crowd but when you're in a away game, it, it's a completely different situation because it's almost silent, especially if, if it's one of those teams, uh, one of those fan bases like Virginia Tech that's really in tune with the team and really in tune with the game. They're not just – I mean, yeah, there are guys that are going there just to tailgate and have a good time, but most of the people that are in that stadium are legitimately there to watch the game and they're invested in what's going on on the field. So you kind of have to create your own energy. I mean, you're, you're not – when you make a big play, you're not going to get that energy and that, that surge and that, that yelling and clapping and screaming from the fans it's going to be silent or you may i mean and if you've done it often enough maybe you'll get some booze towards the end of the game but at the end of the day you have to work through some of that silence to get to that point yeah the booze from the home crowd to the to their offense it's a very rewarding thing to feel but i mean i just hope that these guys i I hope I, i really do hope that this veteran coaching staff has talked to the team about going out there and creating their own energy because they're not going to have the crowd to feed off of. But I think with the uh, the group we have there and the leadership, I think that that shouldn't be a problem for us. I mean, we got a, a good group of guys that they, they still feel like they have something to prove. And uh, as, as Mike mentioned, and both of you guys have mentioned, this is going to be their real first time playing in a hostile environment. So um, I think the the coaching staff has addressed that. And I think that it's good that they had the bye week to kind of simulate uh, some of that crowd, crowd noise for the offense and hopefully uh, the defense has been working on creating some of their own energy as well. All right, let's take our very last commercial break. And when we get back, let's go ahead and talk some tactics against the Hokies. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Seeley here with EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll. EJ, let's stick with you for this one. When you're looking at the this Virginia Tech team, their offense has been very average to even below average. They've also struggled passing the ball. Running the ball, they're decent. But having an extra bye week to implement more of Jay Bateman's scheme, how do you think the heels will come out in this game? I think they'll go out and uh, play their brand of football. I mean, we've had uh, two weeks to prepare for this team. I mean, and like we talked about in uh, the podcast we did going into the bye week, they, they really have a chance to put some unique wrinkles in this defense that haven't been seen on film, but something that's just a big enough twist to where the um, our defense is comfortable. And I think it's something that, we're, that he's put some things in, hopefully, that are consistent enough for us to kind of catch on to fast, but something that we can run in the game. If we really need to make a play or need a big stop, it's a, the blitz or pressure or just some sort of scheme that we can run. So I'm, I'm really looking forward, and I'm, I'm actually excited to see uh, how the defense performs on on Saturday. Uh, I think that this is a, a very average team. They really haven't performed well against much competition. Uh, they, they put up a lot of points against Miami, but their defense also forced turnovers on Miami's first four possessions. So a lot of those were kind of were gimmies. And, and in that, that game, the leading rusher was the quarterback. So I think uh, when, when they're playing, I think they do have some good stats, but most of those are against subpar competition. I mean, they, they've played ODU, Rose, Island, uh, and they struggled against teams like Boston College. Duke uh, absolutely blew them out at home. Granted, Duke's not a bad football team, but still, they just don't show well against competition. So I think this is another uh, chance for our uh, defense to go out and play well against the team that they're expected to play well against. All right. And then, Mike, on the offensive side, the obvious issue from Carolina's perspective is what Bud Foster is going to throw at Sam Howell as a freshman quarterback, because historically he has found ways to really confuse offenses that are led by the more inexperienced quarterbacks. So if you're Phil Longo, what type of game plan do you think they will have in store for this Saturday? Yeah. Bud Foster's game plan is going to be what it always is. And that's, that's going to give you a lot of exotic looks, and he's going to try to bring more guys than you can block in the blitz package. And that is seemingly intuitive, right, that you would want to bring more guys than we have to block them. Uh, but college defenses are less complex generally than NFL defenses in that college defenses will um, – when, when one guy leaves, another guy will typically replace. Everything is on a string. So, you know, if somebody blitzes from the right side of the formation, if you run a single off the edge, everybody's going to shift away from that blitz, right? Defense, defensive line is going to stunt. Um, they're going to stunt away from that blitz. Uh, defensive secondary, so linebackers and secondary behind them are going to rotate back to where that gap is, wherever that guy just left. You can kind of figure it out. If you can spot the blitzer, then you can pretty much figure out exactly what's going to happen in every other position on defense. But Bud Foster runs more of an NFL-type scheme, right, where you can bring more guys – because he's got good enough athletes on the back end to go one-on-one and, and take guys in one-on-one matchups. And that allows him to leave voids because they can cover enough space and they can disguise coverages enough to where it'll confuse the quarterback and, 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 and actually put a body or make it seem like there's a body somewhere in an open area where there really isn't. Um, so that's the other thing Bud is really good at. He's really good at disguising, um, disguising coverages. And, 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 and he switches up a lot of times, which a lot of, a lot of, defensive coordinators in college will not do. But what Bud Foster will do is he'll switch between man and zone defense pretty frequently. Um, and that will throw a quarterback. It'll throw an offensive line through a loop. 
um, if they're not really paying attention and you don't understand the keys to look for, right, and, and how to identify that. I mean, a man defense is going to be, you're always going to see the blitzer, right? If somebody's, if you're going to have a single off the edge, that guy's got to walk up. He's got to start showing you right now because they don't have time to have someone rotate and replace on the backside after the play starts. Zone defense is different, right? They don't have to necessarily show any blitz or, who, or who's coming because they're set up already so that they can go ahead and cover that and, and compensate for that on the back end. So Bud is really good at doing that kind of stuff um, and confusing offensive lines and confusing quarterbacks. And I wouldn't expect this to be any different because, just like you said, Sam is so young and he hasn't seen a lot of exotic looks. He's seen some. Manny Diaz in Miami, they, they threw some weird stuff at him. South Carolina threw some weird stuff with Will Muschamp. But Bud Foster is typically a different animal. Now, in, in recent years under Puente, Bud hasn't necessarily had the athletes that he's had in the past. So schematically, he's had to dumb down things and, and, and show you more vanilla looks. He also hasn't had the pass rushers that he's had in the past. One thing that Bud used to be able to do was he could rush four guys, right, eat up offensive linemen in normal rushes, and then he could green dog linebackers, he could green dog nickel corners and, um, or, or nickel players um, uh, after the play had already started, and you can't account for those guys typically once you're engaged with a pass rusher. He doesn't have that benefit, so I would expect Bud to have to go a lot more man and have to start showing these blitzes earlier throughout the game. And as long as our offensive line is keyed up and looking for things and the tackles are running the protections and Sam is aware of the keys he has to look for to identify the blitzer, I think they're going to be fine, right? But Bud does run some exotic coverages from a quarterback's perspective and from a receiver's perspective. He'll run some exotic coverages and confuse you in your route combinations. Uh, but I don't think on the first level with the offensive line it's going to be as big of a concern as it will be for Sam and our receiving core um, to identify the coverages that they're actually running into and the gaps are going to come naturally from that, being able to identify those. EJ, when you're looking at the defense, Virginia Tech has thrown five interceptions on the season, but those were all from Ryan Willis. Hidden Hooker, who has taken over lately, he has six touchdowns to no interceptions. So if you are the heels, how do you confuse the quarterback into making some bad throws and being able to get some of those turnovers like they got against Georgia Tech that really helped seal that game off. I think it's exactly what Mike was alluding to, that some of the things that Bud Foster does, you have to confuse him. Uh, this is another young quarterback. I mean, he's a sophomore. He doesn't have have much playing experience. And um, I, I think there's a there's a lot of opportunities there for us to get him rattled. I mean, he's not a small guy, so when we get to him, we have to make sure that we hit him and wrap up. We saw against Clemson that uh, we kind of struggle getting uh, larger quarterbacks down, so hopefully that's another thing that we focused on uh, during the bye week. But um, I think if we get him off the spot, we stay disciplined in our coverage, and we play our brand of football and, and make them earn it. Uh, as you see, yeah, he does have six touchdowns, but – I mean, he's not really throwing for for a lot of yardage. He's throwing when he needs to. He's not really taking a, a lot of huge shots downfield. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity if we if we play the, uh, the football that I know that we can play in the football that we've shown that we can play. I think that we'll go out and have a good game against them. We just have to get them off the spot. We have to confuse them. We have to get to them. We have to hit them. We have to be disciplined in our coverage. So um, overall, I'm confident about our performance against them. I think we can keep him contained, both running the ball and uh, passing. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast with this, guys. Going into the Virginia Tech game, who is the one player that you think must have a good game in order for the heels to win? Mike, go ahead and start with you on offense. It's going to have to be Carl Tucker. 
um, we're going to have to get our we're going to get our tight ends involved. And I say Carl Tucker, but I'm speaking about the tight end group generally. Um, we're going to have to get our tight ends involved down the seams to in order to in order to try to suck some of the defense towards the middle of the field. Um, right right now we're we are essentially a boundary we're a boundary team with the exception of some slants and and ten yard ends. That's about it in terms of middle of the field. Um, middle of the field threats that we show to other teams. So, you know, when we're, when we're throwing towards a boundary and we're, we're an edge offense, which is what we've kind of turned into the past few games, you know, that, that, that allows defenses to spread out. They don't have to respect the middle of the field as much. Well, that creates a perfect opportunity for, for tight ends and our tight ends just to make a real impact on the game. And if we can go ahead and we can sucker them into them, I mean, Virginia Tech, into thinking that we're going to stick to this perimeter game that we've kind of, uh, we've kind of wedded ourselves to the past few weeks. If we can sucker them into thinking that's how this game plan is going to go, and that's how this—that's how we're going to be on offense for the whole day. Then you will see opportunities open in the middle of the field, and that's when you can dump one of the tight end. Um, you can get them involved in the route combinations, get them involved involved in the passing game, right? And that will that will force the defense number number one. It'll throw them because you know they're they're going to be prepping all week for if anything's in the middle, it's going to be a slant or it's going to be a ten yard in, and that's going to be it. Right, so now it's going to throw off their 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 game preparation. They're going to have to start scrambling in the middle of the game. So there's a there's part of the mental game that's one right there, right? But two, what it's going to do is that's going to open up everything else. So in the midst of that confusion, that should help your running game. That should help your perimeter game, which is what we're very good at, right? So it should open up opportunities in the perimeter game where we can exploit that and take advantage of it um, and see some success that we've seen before. In some of that, you know, some of our our, our our outside bubble screens, our wheel routes, things like that, that run towards the outside, and obviously the fades that we're seeing to guys like Bo Corrales down in the red zone. Once we get there, those outside oriented passing plays and, and passing schemes, that's going to be beneficial to us. It's also going to open up, again, like I said, it's going to open up things in the running game, like our outside zones, our jet sweeps, things like that. So getting the tight ends involved in the passing game early. Um, and, and, and really showing that we're going to attack the middle of the field is going to be a huge, a huge thing for us this weekend. If we can pull that off, I think our offense is going to be pretty successful. All right. And then, EJ, what about on defense? Who do you think must stand out in this game? I'm going to say Dominique Ross. Uh, I, I really think that he he needs to step up his, his play a little bit this year. Um, a, a lot of times I see him go in on, uh, on blitzes, and there's not that intensity that I really see from the other linebackers. And um, right now he's sitting at ninth in tackles on the team, and, and I think that he really can – there's a lot more impact that he can make, and especially with his size, we're going to need him on the pressures to try to, try to take down um, – Virginia Tech's quarterback. We're going to need him both the passing game and uh, against the run. So um, with, with Jeremiah Gibbons stepping up and playing the way that he's played, Tamon Fox having having a good year, and Chad Surratt really stepping up and being a standout player on that defense, I think it's time to for for him to really step up his play and kind of round out our linebacking crew. So I'm really hoping to see an improved game from him. Not expecting him to go out and 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 fill up the stat sheet, but I really just want to see a solid all around football game from him. And and I think if we can get that from him and we get the same consistent play from the rest of our linebacking core and our defensive line and secondary uh, plays the way that they've been playing in some of these games this year, I think we'll go out and uh, have a, a good performance against them. All right. Sounds good, guys. We'll go ahead and wrap it up then. Thank you all for talking to me, and we'll speak again next week. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.